So before I read uh, this morning's text on a cold morning like this, thankful for some sunlight, thankful for the first Sunday in the last month uh, where we don't have frozen precipitation uh, interfering with uh, the work of God here, right? So, um, but I do think it would be worth our while before I read the text to pray for people who don't have heat or water or other things like that. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so let's just, or electricity. So let's just, let's just pray, uh, and then we'll read the text. Lord, um, today, uh, as we gather in a place that is warm and well lit and, um, that has all uh, the things we need, we pray for those who don't and those who have suffered, uh, in the past, uh, week. We pray for protection. We pray for strength and grace. We pray for uh, provision and the protection of life, and we pray for those who are serving and helping uh, in those situations that you would strengthen their hands. Uh, Lord, we um, uh, also uh, confess that we take uh, a lot of these blessings for granted, and so we pray that you would forgive us and make us grateful uh, for uh, all the things uh, that you give to us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're up to Philippians 3, 12 to 15. Text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Um, So, A.J., go and put my notes up there. So we need to answer the question. He says, not that I've already obtained this. Or I'm already perfect, so you may have forgotten what the this is. Uh, you know, the this refers to what we looked at last week, and I can't remember what the sermon was about last week, so I don't see I can expect you to do it either. So, um, so what he's talking about there in verses 10 and 11 is to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what Paul is talking about is, is that he wants to have a righteousness from Christ that's not his own. He wants to be found in Christ, found in him, uh, acknowledged in him uh, with all the righteousness that he will ever need coming to him outside of himself in Jesus Christ. And that as he does that, as Jesus has has made him completely righteous, he wants to be conformed to the image of Christ. And as he lives this life, knowing that he is not perfectible in this life, that he will not attain full perfection, but that what he wants to happen is because of his fellowship in Christ, he wants to grow. He wants to change. He wants to become more and more like what it is that Christ has for him Ultimately, not to gain any any kind of righteousness or to earn anything, but because Jesus is his and he is Jesus's, he wants to pursue this. Right. And so that's what he is uh, 
uh, that that's what he's expressing. Now, I'm sure if I were to uh, survey the congregation today and say to you, uh, are you perfectible? Is it possible for you to attain perfection in anything? Because we know that humility is important. <laughs> we would say, why no, of course not. No, I am not. I am not. I am not perfect and I am not perfectible. However, what if we were to ask the question this way? You know, would it ever be possible that this sin you could slip into it? Or see this brother or sister over here, this happened to them. Could that ever happen to you? So functionally, what we may say is we know we're not perfectible, but we're better than that guy. And that over there, that sin right there, that's impossible. I, that could never happen to me. This over here, yeah, I, I'm not perfectible, but I'm better than that. Right? And some of you may be thinking, well, Steve, what's the point? I am better than that, <laughs> right? What Paul's getting at here is something that is uh, kind of mysterious in some ways, right? Uh, and this was one of the things that drove Martin Luther uh, kind of crazy in his life, because what, what we're recognizing here is that when Jesus comes to us, when he saves us, when he redeems us, we get all the righteousness we'll ever need. We are perfectly righteous. And yet in this life, we will continue to sin, that sin will wage a war against our, uh, against our spirit and our spirit against our flesh until we die. And as a result of that, what happens to us is that none of us, none of us is perfectible in this life. However, we have the perfect righteousness of Christ. So what Luther struggled with is how can you be simultaneously justified and simultaneously sinning? Right. And that really is the tension uh, that we experience uh, in, in life. And it is in some ways it's mysterious because when we look at one another, we look at our own lives. It is, uh, you know, it should not shock us when people who are not in Christ sin. It shouldn't. That, 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 that should not shock us at all. But for those of us who know Jesus and are known by him and have his perfect righteousness, the, the, it, is, it is a, how is it possible that people like that, people like us, people like me, can fall into sin and continue to struggle? So we have the Apostle Paul saying here and assuring the, the church in Philippi and assuring us today that he is not perfect, that he has not attained it, that he's not there yet. Then I think one of the things we have to take from that is, well, how does that work itself out in our lives? Now, you may be saying, but now, wait a minute. He says in verse 15 that those of us who are mature, that word there for mature is the same word. Uh, in verse 12, that's uh, uh, translated perfect. So apparently there are some people in the church at Philippi who think they've arrived. <laughs> and Paul's saying to them, well, you know, I'm the apostle. I planted this church and I, I love you, but I haven't arrived. But those of you who think you have arrived, you know what? I'm going to trust God to work that out with you. 
And I'm going to trust God to, 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 to reveal that to you. And I think, I, I think he's trolling them a little bit here. I think he is actually saying, come on, come on, you know better, right? Really, don't you know better? But, but, the, but the fact of the matter is, that's true of all of us, right? And so what are the practical implications of that that we, that we, 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 we uh, struggle with this? Well, we've not arrived, but we're still accountable for our sin, uh, one of our children used to, when we would have, you know, the little sit down face to face, come to Jesus, come to dad, come to mom moments about some disobedience. Uh, he he's a number of times he would say to me, well, dad, you know, you always are saying none of us are perfect. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not perfect. I I do these things. And so I would say, you know what, you're right, and I'm not perfect either, but uh, I am going to be your partner, your senior partner, in, uh, in helping you be accountable and strive towards that perfectibility for which Jesus Christ died to give you. And that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna push towards that, right? So, so the fact is, that is the thing here, his uh, acceptance his place in, in the kingdom, in that sense, is secure, but that security doesn't put us in a place where, as Paul says here, there's not strain and there's not pressing and there's not struggle to move on towards that, right? So, so the fact is, while we have all the righteousness we will ever need, uh, all the righteousness that we could ever have in Christ, we are still accountable for our sin and we still must confess, repent, we still must be uh, challenged by that all the time. But there's also great hope here and great forbearance as we live together with one another. Because here's the thing. If you haven't arrived, that means Jesus is not done with you yet. Now, I want to say that again. Because if you haven't arrived, Jesus is not done with you yet. Now, now some of you have quit. Some of you have just recognized things in your life, sin in your life, difficulties in your life, and you've just said, you know what, I quit. I, I just, I don't want to strain. I don't want to struggle. It's hard. It's just too hard. I, I, I just, I just don't want to do this. But, but the, the fact of the matter is, there's great hope in this, in this viewpoint, this doctrine that Paul's getting at here is that we are in this race and that we are moving towards the goal that Jesus has already won for us. And so, so there is great encouragement in that, so that the way I am now is not necessarily the way I will always be. Right? Not perfectible, but moving towards the image of Christ all the time. Right? But also, there's great reason for forbearance here, because one of the things that happens to us is as we look around the, the people in our lives and that kind of stuff, don't you wish the people you loved were more sanctified? <laughs> don't you wish that? Don't you wish they were pressing on a little more? Don't you wish they were straining a little more? Don't, don't you wish they were getting with the program a little bit more? Don't you wish that? Well, you should wish that, and you should pray that. But there has to be great forbearance and patience with one another as we hold each other accountable and as we strain towards this goal together. So uh, we believed all the weather forecasts and thought we would lose power. And so because in the 90s where we lived, we used to lose power for days at a time whenever we had ice storms. We still remember those days. 
we didn't buy a lot of groceries. So by the time we got to yesterday, there's not a lot of food in the house. You know, you can only eat so many tins of tuna and, you know, uh, the, the COVID soup that I bought last March when I thought, you know, the world was coming to an end. And so, so the refrigerator's pretty bare. So we're like, you know what? I think we're through the worst of this. Let's go to the grocery store. So we go to the grocery store. So we're walking into the grocery store. I, there's something I need to go get. And Marty's going to go do her thing. And she says, you know what? I really would like some seafood for dinner tonight. I'm like, great. So I go do my thing. So I go over to the seafood section to find her. And she's standing there staring. And, you know, it's America. And one of the great things about America is we don't just have fish, right? We got shrimp. We got oysters. We got clams. We got crabs. We got lobster. We got all kinds of all kinds of that stuff. So there's, you know, when you say seafood, you know, that's a pretty broad category. So she's standing in front of the case looking at it. So I come over to her and I put the stuff in the basket and I look up and there's an elderly gentleman behind her going like this over his mask. Now, we had just been talking about how the pandemic had dampened down the number of mass shootings. And so suddenly I'm like, we might be on the news here if I don't do something about moving us along. So I'm like, sir. And I grabbed the basket, whipped it out of the line and pulled it in behind him, praying that I would have the same opportunity to encourage him as he had encouraged us. So, uh, but I didn't. God delivered me from that because, yes, I'm not perfect yet, but uh you know, we, we kind of get that way with one another, right? Because here, but here's the thing. And this is one of the things that tempers my dissatisfaction and impatience with people. If you view your life like a movie, right? The old uh, kind of movies with the frames. We're interacting with each other over the course of 5, 10, 15, maybe 100 frames where a life is a million frames. Right. And so what we see and what we interact with, we can't know, we can't be sure of that, except that we know what Jesus died to give us. We trust that he has made us righteous in him and we believe that he will see us through to the end and that he has won this victory for us. And he is pressing, moving, giving us everything we need as we strain towards that. And so we are forbearant, forbearant with one another because we recognize that, that we haven't arrived, that we are progressing, that Jesus has promised to cause us to progress, but we haven't arrived there yet. And so what we see here is that he says that we press on. And you have to understand that the pressing on here is in the context of suffering. Remember what he has said, right? That he that he would know the power of his resurrection, that he would share in his sufferings, and that he would become like him in his death. The the, the pressing on that happens here, the moving on that we happens is in, in a context of suffering. To 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 and that's why he uses the language of pressing and running and straining, right? Because it's hard, it's difficult, it's painful. I, I've run seven marathons. And uh, I, I only had one goal in every marathon, and that was to break four hours. Uh, and I did that a number of times. Um, 
If you if you ever go watch a marathon, what you will find is, and I, I read this from the director of the New York City Marathon, is that the people who are in the most pain at the finish line are not the people that run the six-hour marathon, but the people that are trying to run under a three-hour marathon. That those are the people, when they get to the finish line, they're the people that are suffering the most, who appear to be in the most pain. One year, uh, I was running the marathon, and it was one of those weird Richmond days where it was 87 degrees. And so, you know, I was I was well into my 40s, close to 50, running this marathon. And, you know, beating four hours was just not going to happen. It was just a miserable day. It was just hot. But I had trained for it, so I was going to do it. So I'm shuffling along. And I came across 95, or this is about mile 23, heading back into town. And there's all these flashing lights and all these ambulances lined up. And along the median strip in the middle of the road are all these 25-year-old guys laying in the median getting IV fluid bags. And me and the other 50-year-old guys are just kind of... Shuffing along, right on by him. Yeah, we're going to run our four and a half hour marathon here, but hey, we're going to the finish line and you guys are still going to be out here. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the point of that, we were suffering too. We were just suffering more slowly. But uh, the, the fact is, the, the, the reality of that situation is that the race that we're talking about here is painful, is difficult. There's so much joy in belonging to Jesus. There's so much joy in experiencing the work that he is doing in us. But sin rages in us. The flesh wars against the spirit. And so there is going to be difficulty and challenge and, and, and pain and suffering. And so much of the work that God is doing in, in changing us into the image of Christ happens in times and places that are uh, that are painful, right? And so Paul uses this this metaphor of pressing, of of moving and 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 straining on, because at the end we know that Jesus has already won the race, and He is there holding the victory crown for us. You have that great picture in the martyrdom of Stephen when he looks up into heaven and heaven opens up for him. And Jesus, who earlier in Acts is seated at the right hand of the Father, is now standing greeting him at the finish line. That will be our experience, right? And that that vision, that the understanding of all that Jesus has done and what he is giving to us is the thing that motivates us now to strain and to press on, right? But not only that, he says, we forget what has gone on behind, what has what has happened before us. Right. Um, One of the things that you have to see about this is, is that uh, uh, if you run a race, especially a race with any kind of speed and you keep looking over your shoulder and you're not looking ahead, what are you going to do? You're going to trip and fall sooner or later. You're going to fall down. Most people look over their shoulder not because they want to enjoy the scenery back there, because they're afraid someone's going to pass them. Uh, and that our eyes become comparative, right? We begin to look around and compare ourselves 
to how we're doing with others. But what we see here is we don't have to do that. Jesus has already won the race for us, and he is giving us what we need to complete it, right? And he's doing that with all of those, all of us who are in the race uh, together. So we don't need to compete, and we don't need to be looking over our shoulders. It, uh, next slide, please, uh, AJ. It, it's 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 great to, to to read these texts because Paul must have loved athletics. He must have loved uh, uh, running because he he uses this example so much. So much. You not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control, and self-control is not so much discipline as it is thinking rightly about reality. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And then 1 Corinthians 9, or uh, Hebrews 1 and, uh, 1, uh, 12, 1 and 2 We've already read that, but it'll do us some good to read it again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what the people who are around us who have run the race, we're, we're not competing with them. They're actually here as encouragements to us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, uh, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we forget we don't live in the past. We don't look back and think that what happened at mile 16 is going to change everything about where I am at mile 20. Does it affect me? Yes. But does it d- determine my race? No. It doesn't. And I, here's one of the things that I think is interesting about our culture, even our culture within the church is, I think down deep inside we believe, we, 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 we think God is sovereign. We think God is in control, but really for many of us, we think the controlling factor in our lives is our past. Right? Our upbringing. The experiences that we've had, the pains, the suffering, the difficulties that we've had. And, and that kind of, for some of us, we believe that excuses the behavior that we have now. For some of us, we think that uh, because of the things that have happened to us in the past, it's impossible for us to change. Or that there are certain silos of our lives that will never change because of what happened to us in the past. The way, what Paul's getting at here is not that we completely forget about the past, but what we recognize about our past is, while it's formative, it's formative it, it has an impact on who I am today, it doesn't determine everything about me. Because here's the thing, and this is the thing that Paul is getting at uh, uh, here, is that we belong to Jesus Christ, and that is our first and foremost identity. My identity is not first and foremost a victim. My identity is not first and foremost an achiever. My identity is sinner saved by grace, loved by Jesus Christ, having his righteousness, having the Spirit of God. That is who I am. That is my core identity. That That is... And because I have that, and because I am in Jesus, that and Jesus loves me, he gives me the things that I need 
to press on and, and to win this race. And so, so our past, while it shapes us, and it certainly may explain some things about us, it doesn't get the final word. This church, one of the things that we say all the time is the gospel changes everything. I want to know if you believe that. Or do you think that there's some people or some places or some corners of your lives that the gospel can't change? Won't change. Do you believe that your sin and your story is more powerful than the righteousness of Christ and his story? Or do we just think because things are not perfectible and because we're not perfectible that we just make our peace with things as they are? I don't think that's what Paul's getting at when he says that he hasn't attained it. And I think it is what he what he is getting at is, listen, Jesus has done all of this. He awaits us at the finish line. He has a crown for us. He he has achieved all of this. He loves us. We are in him. We belong to him. He belongs to us. Press on. And don't allow yourself to believe the lie that the brokenness, the selfishness, the ugliness is more powerful than the cross. We have every reason to hope and believe that he will change every one of us. How, when, the circumstances, we trust him with that. Let's confess our sins together uh, uh, by using this prayer of confession that's uh, printed uh, in the bulletin, also up uh, on the uh, screens behind me. Almighty God, Holy Father, we confess that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, words, and deeds. We have resisted being led by you. We have followed the spirit of our age into self-reliance, self-worship, and autonomy. We have acted as if the cross has no power. We have lived as if you did not dwell in us by your Holy Spirit, convicting, encouraging, and helping us. Forgive us and grant that we might walk in the Spirit and not in our self-directed paths. Amen.
believers hear these words of encouragement. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.